0: Please note, in this episode, we discuss cancer and mental health. See the show notes for helpful links. Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy, and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking, and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. I'm so excited to be doing this because I've just realised as I've got in the cupboard and set everything up that this is actually the first recording that I've done in 2022. Happy new year of recording. Totally and I mean how, you know, what way to start a new year with the amazing, the astounding, the absolutely awesome monica mcgee scottish soprano thank oh, you it's so nice to be here it's so nice to meet you virtually although i have met you momentarily in real life at a distance i must have i must have just waved from afar at the other end <laughs> totally many many years ago and um, monica you've just always been on my radar because you're a local gal
1: i'm a get girl
0: Mm-hmm. but now you're like an international superstar, so I feel like I'm oh, so privileged say, to be happy to would say that. Would, would we say that? Well, reading, <laughs> just reading the bio that's on your <laughs> website without even going into great detail, I was like, <laughs> how's this person, this human, just like squeezed so much awesomeness into such a short period of time? I, I'd be very busy. I was saying that to someone
1: today. I've had many a life. I've been very busy I've kept myself busy so it does actually feel like I've managed to fit quite a lot into especially I'd say the last 10 years I feel like I've managed to have quite a varied and exciting life at times in 10 years and I thought oh it's really been 10 years wow
0: hence why you're on the bra and the brave because you are indeed the bra and me. brave Memories for me in terms of singing was yeah. like the first time my mum realised that I could sing. Was we had, well, I remember those baths you used to have in like the 90s or the 80s, and it was like shell shaped, like yes. baths in your bathroom, like and it had a shell. So I was obsessed with Little Mermaid, and apparently I sang a uh, part of your world. <laughs> and then um, my mum was like, Oh, you can sing. And I wondered, was there that moment for you where somebody went, Oh, Monica, you can sing? Mine was in the bath. I just thought it was really funny when you brought up this story
1: I was like are we having a similar life here um so there was there was two moments two moments in particular because one I think I was probably how old were you when you had your little mermaid obsession
0: oh gosh I must have been quite young I don't know, three four I don't even know Year yes so I was
1: of... right I was about three because I so I've got two sisters so very much it was communal bath times everyone was in the bath <laughs> <laughs> and I believe there's uh, I've got one of those I was joking about this in rehearsals I've got one of those really freaky memories which is a blessing and a curse so I remember outrageous details of situations from years ago right, right. it's great because it means I remember music really well so it does help my job mm. um, but I believe my younger sister was taken out of the bath because she would be in about 18 months at the time my older sister and I were together and I made up Baba Black Sheep the opera and I used my fingers here you can't see this people but I'm using my fingers I believe I was squawking but I just thought gosh I can go high I can be very loud I imagine it was dreadful so then park that one and I was singing in the school I did like the Burns competition and when you're really little, sort of seven and eight, you're actually, you don't even have to sing a Burns song. It's just a Scottish song. So I was allowed to get into the school choir a year early because I did the Burns competition. Of course. So we were in the cathedral church and it was Christmas time and the adult choir were finishing it with O Come, O You Faithful. And they have that descant part. And I just remember, I think I was about eight, and I went on to the descant line I'm sure it wasn't very good, but I just felt at home singing that high. Yeah. And I, my mum looked at my dad at that point and just went, I think we have a problem. Yeah. And that that was me, just obsessed with singing high, singing loud, and I think it was probably quite punishing for everyone else when I was young. <laughs> but now look at you. Now look at you. I don't imagine it was very good. I, thankfully, I don't have any recordings
0: I love it. I love it. So moving on to high school then, was that a skill and a a natural talent that was nurtured?
1: So I went to the junior conservatoire at the, it was the RSMD at the time. So I went actually as a pianist, first of all, uh, a pianist as a first study and a singer as a second study. So I didn't, I didn't study my instrument at school. I studied them outside and then I played in the school orchestras and sang in the school choirs but all of the sort of classical education for me I had the wonderful piano teacher called Mrs McNeil Nan McNeil I don't know if she's still alive I hope she is she'll be about 100 by now um and then I I was really sad actually when I left her and I went to the, the junior academy on Saturdays and I did so I got in when I was 12 and I stayed there until I was 17 and went to undergrad there so I did eight years between Junior Academy and my undergrad in that building. Wow, you're committed. I felt very at home by the end, probably too at home, which is why I left to go to London.
0: <laughs> a change of scenery. <laughs> I think I needed it. I was part of the furniture by the end. But that's obviously something then your parents were encouraging and you know you were in obviously a privileged position to be able to to pursue that natural talent. I think this all the time
1: my parents in terms of what they allowed their three daughters to explore is just astonishing and um, I don't have any children primarily because I don't think I'd be a good enough parent at the moment I couldn't give I couldn't give a child what my parents gave the three of us I mean it was the 90s nobody had any money did they we all did piano lessons we all played an orchestral instrument we all did the Burns singing competitions I think my parents must have had this spreadsheet of, I don't know when they saw each other, of so-and-so's here on a Monday and then you drive so-and-so to gymnastics and then I was a gymnast, then so-and-so goes to swimming. And what they did was amazing. And, you know, to to have the money to send me to then go to the the junior academy. So not just paying for, you know, local lessons with a teacher, but funding this. And, And more than that, it was the time that they gave up when we were children I don't know if you and your sister were the same. We would put on shows. Again, I'm using my fingers. Yes. we will be working on a show. I yep. think my mother must have had to have a glass of wine in her hand to make it through <laughs> Act 1 of this. A five-year-old, a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. There is footage of this, actually. Yes. There is footage of a lot of these. <clears throat> Sometimes it was little Scots song things. and Oh, God, we like tart had tartan sashes and everything. Of course. We'd Scott songs. But my <laughs> uncle bought us... A puppet theatre for Christmas ones. We're obsessed by the sound of music in our family, right? Yes. You know, the when they sing The Lonely Goat Hard and they have that huge puppet theatre, my God, I always wanted one. Again, it was the 90s, nobody did any money. <laughs> and um, my uncle, my uncle bought us, he doesn't have any kids, uh, he bought us, it wasn't as big as that, but it was a puppet theatre and Amazing. we would be underneath it, a kind of bigger Punch and Judy styled one. Yes, uh huh. The absolute, I think the word is tripe that we would create and then subject my mom and dad to watch. And actually, not more than the money, that's not the thing, sort of them sacrificing. I'm pretty sure my mother didn't have, you know, a nice pair of shoes for about five years Mm -hmm. so that we could, you know, have these things. Um, But more than just going, oh, we'll just send them and they can go learn from someone else. They let us be creative, Uh they let us be, you know, Kind of theatrical. I mean, I was a very theatrical child, and he was shocked by that. Um, but they gave us—they <laughs> gave us that space, that time oh, yeah. to explore as children to put on shows. And there'll be a creative child somewhere that's get parents are like, "Sorry, I don't have time to watch this," and and where, where's the outlet so for true. that for that so kid? True. So you know, my parents were faultless in that in that respect. Like Calamity Jane, we would watch every week. Well, Sound that- of Music. Oliver, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, all these things. We would, and I really want to find these, we were obsessed by recreating the scene in Oliver where you know where you know they stand, and they pull out things from Fagin's pocket and there's just more stuff keeps coming out, right? So we would stand in my sister's bedroom and we'd set up the camera and we'd be singing possibly like Pick a Pocket or two and then we would stuff pockets with things. And then we'd pull them out, and one of them would run round the back and pause the camera, and the other sister would try and stay <laughs> as still as possible. People can't see the pose I'm doing right now, but you are try and stay as still as possible. The other sister, it helped that there were three, as the other sister stuffed
0: your pockets with more things, <laughs> and then the other one would hit play again. And we would think this would be flawless. See, that's when Emma and I were lacking the third sister. We needed the third sister. See, if we teamed up with you and your sisters, oh, I mean. You need a third sister. Possibilities, be, would be like endless. a runner. I mean, I would have been showbiz. Absolutely, you've I mean, got about doing it. I think I've said this in the podcast before, and I'm like, um, "Dad, see tomorrow. Do you think you could film me because you filmed Emma loads today? <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, "That's where it. Was. it was all downhill from there. <laughs> My dad was
1: really into like he's very theatrical when he reads stories to us, which I think is why I became quite theatrical. And we'd always have bedtime stories and he'd love to just film these moments. It's really lovely to look back on them and just watch you as, you know, three, five and seven, having your dad do all the voices to Beauty and the Beasts and stuff. It's, it's just really lovely. So my angelic, and I mean angelic sisters, two little blondes sitting there in a nook in my dad like this. This is doing, you know, the final rose petal was falling, right? and because I just thought I wasn't getting enough attention all you see in this moment is me diving off of the top bunk and falling in front of the camera and they all just sort of look at me and go that's Monica on the floor yeah and then they just keep going with the story because that's how theatrical I was. It just say, to be in ignore me she's light been Monica.
0: <laughs> I love it, I love it. So I guess what I'm wondering is, where was like the, the shift in terms of, you know, you're going to piano lessons, you're going to the, the Junior Conservatoire, so obviously you love it as a passion, you know, and your parents are, are encouraging all of you to do what your passions, you know, to, to follow your passions, but for you, do you think there was a defining moment where you were like, actually, this is what I want to pursue as a career, like, this is what I could do as a profession?
1: Oh, no, I always knew I was going to do it as a profession. I oh, had... Oh, oh, yeah. Well, that's not quite true. I always knew I was going to be in some way theatrical. For about four days, I considered being a vet. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, no, that's just not me. Um, So I wanted to be, my first job I wanted to be was because I was a really serious gymnast, genuinely quite good. So I wanted to be a gymnast. I wanted to be like Olympic gymnast. Anyway, mm-hmm. that wasn't gonna happen by the age of eleven or twelve. If you're not already on a squad, it's never gonna happen. I wanted yeah. to be you know those gladiators on a Saturday night that could like hang tough Jet. where they're getting hit by something. Yes, lightning, storm, zoom, whatever they're called. Yes. Oh yeah, all of them. So because I was really strong and agile, I thought I could do that. And then <laughs> and then I had this weird obsession when I was like 11 or 12
0: and I wanted to be a Bond girl I mean I'm just looking at you now and if locks, flowing locks I know how strong you are because <laughs> I see you on Instagram I'm like you're the fittest fiddle <laughs> like you could have done all these things I'm thinking
1: <laughs> so I wanted to be a Bond girl and my dad it was sort of my dad Nice thing is James Bond it's, we just love it it's just a thing but I was like I could be the first Bond girl that actually writes the theme tune like the Bond theme tune yes yeah, but then Madonna kind of did. it. remember she did the song? She did like the jousting scene and I was like, ah, it's already been done. Opera it is then. Um, so bye. <laughs> I actually always, like when I heard your sister sing for the first time, I was like, oh, that like effortless tone that just oozes from her pores. as she like plays the guitar? Yes. And I wanted to be able to do like Nora Jones on the piano because I was a piano player. But it, it just doesn't work with my voice to have this kind of classical don't know why I mean it's just ridiculous you sound like an absolute idiot um and so I always say to people I I didn't choose opera in the sense that I mean I loved it but I think it's because it was already in me and it's I've this really kind of can we swear on this podcast no absolutely you know that kind of like people with like wanky phrases like oh it's it's those like you know inspirational quotes but the one that I do find is that like the truth will resonate within you like if you find something that works for you something happens to your body it's like when you meet the person you're supposed to be with or you know just someone that you fancy and something resonates inside you that's how I always felt about opera I didn't choose it in that sense it was just once I put my voice into that my voice suddenly made sense you know the the Mm -hmm. difficult gear changes in Nora Jones aren't in you know Puccini (laughs) suddenly I'm like I'm home um and so Ah.
0: it, it it just it just fitted that's amazing that you were able to just land on that because of like the mechanics of your voice like what's going on in your body you're like this is what I've been born with and it's just nurturing that and using that
1: yeah that's
0: incredible I have a
1: big thing that I say to people and I and I I kind of stand by this which is if you know what like what you do in your lane it's so easy to just obsess over everyone in every single lane whereas actually I know what lane I'm in just be in your lane Know what you can do in your lane and boss your lane. Because there will be someone in another lane that can do something much better than you, but that's because they're in a different lane, especially with music. You know, people have got higher voices. People have got bigger voices. People have got different colours to their voice. People can move the voice faster. People have got more breath to the voice. People have got blah. It just goes on and on and on. But know what your lane is. And then, you know, I, I can really appreciate what other singers do, what other sopranos do, but go... I, I i can't do that i go boss your lane babe i can't be in that lane i I can't sing that sort of you know style i don't sing that sort of music i don't sing that high i don't sing that low whatever it is so stick to your lane um in terms of once you find it make your lane the best it can be
0: i love that i love that analogy it's so important to yeah that comparison factor i think we're all susceptible to it i guess with like these days with social media and stuff but it's like celebrate what makes you unique and what you have to offer and that yeah it's lovely that other people have these other skills that yeah I, I think jealousy or that kind of comparison thing is partly human nature and we can't always help it but to keep the focus on but what makes Monica Monica is that you have this amazing voice that doesn't sound like anyone else's and that you are able to tackle opera and not everybody can can go there they just can't they just have the voice for it
1: also some people don't want to i was actually having this discussion the other day with someone which is that you know it's absolutely fine for people to go opera's just not for me you know because i was explaining to someone you know i don't like tea i don't drink tea someone's gonna offer me a cup of tea now i'm really sorry i don't drink tea wouldn't thank you for a sunday roast it, it no one's gone to me I think it's actually dreadful that you don't immerse yourself in Yorkshire puddings. Like, nobody cares. (laughs) I mean, it's absolutely fine for people to have different tastes as long as, you know, there's a respect to it.
0: I I guess then when you were at the Conservatoire and you're working with people who know what they're talking about, you know, as a young person and you're being coached and that natural skills being nurtured, as I say, I'm guessing that's where opera was introduced then to you. Because you are a soprano, you have this beautifully high voice that they were thinking this is for you.
1: Yeah, because it was the the top notes were the easiest ones for me when I was younger, um, and suddenly it just fits, and you just feel like you're wearing your shoes as opposed to mm. wearing your sister's shoes. That's the mm. only way I can describe it. Is someone gives you a piece of music, and finally you try it on. And it's like wearing in a custom made outfit that someone's gone. This is this is for your body, not just a generic size eight where you think, well, that this half of my body is a size eight and that's a size 10 and that's a size nine. You know, it's, mm. it's it just fits and it feels really freeing, actually, as opposed to I think you can often shut parts of yourself down to fit into other things. God, this is going to get deep, isn't it? Yeah, but no, no. That, with your that, voice, yeah. you can, you know, go, oh, well, I should try and fit into that. No, find what works in the same way you know in life what works you can feel when some like a situation is right you can feel when a person is right for you and it sort of was the same with my voice high music beautiful melodies I was at home
0: uh, it's just lovely because obviously you know I'm 175 conversations in. you're my 175th episode Amazing. you know and speaking to a lot of creative people and a lot of people working the arts and um, you know it's just like I've asked that question so many times like when did you know or was it a you know was it a gradual journey but it's lovely to hear that you're like yeah I always knew. I feel
1: quite lucky actually because I think there's something quite calming if you think well I always just knew this you know I watched friends at school going and you know one of my sisters going I'm not really sure what I want to do and I always felt there was a sense of calm of going well I've always known and and the thing is the last you know, a few years, I hit a major bump in the road, health-wise thing and wise. Had I not always gone, no, this is definitely what I'm supposed to be doing. I think it would have made it a lot more difficult to sort of keep going, and recover those those kind of things. But the fact that I thought, well, no, and not in this sort of, I can't do anything else. No, there's there's tons of things I could have done. This is what I'm meant. I feel this is what I'm meant to do.
0: You did allude there to a huge event that happened in your life you know we're talking about how much passion and how you say ser- how much certainty you had behind what you wanted to do and you were yeah. doing it and you were smashing it and you're on that train and you're in your lane and mm-hmm. and then you a huge I mean we'll call it a hurdle I can't even it's, that's <laughs> that's not the word um and I, I didn't expect you to talk about this but if if you want to and you're comfortable to then
1: I'm yeah I'm I'm happy to I mean I made it quite public for a reason because um So, yeah, so just to put context before I go into it. So, yeah, so I was um, in my late 20s just a few years ago now and felt like I was getting into a really good stride in my career with my voice. And then I had a cancer diagnosis of a thyroid cancer, so a tumour, which was in my neck and was growing really close to the, the lower laryngeal nerve. So I'd have emergency surgery. And... You basically have to sign on the form before you have your operation to say if if my voice doesn't survive, then I, I you know I, I can't sue you. Basically, um, it's the most surreal experience. I was twenty eight. My mom would come down for the the hospital appointment, so I wasn't myself. I was like, it's going to be fine. I wore I kid you not a mac red bold lip to this hospital appointment because I was like dressing for success (laughs) what a rude awakening I got I think no it's going to be good news it's going to be fine and then they tell you and it's I'm really glad someone else was in with me because I think I would have walked out and gone no no that's not what I have and I remember thinking like the first the the first thought is am I going to die but the second thought is am I going to lose my voice and then am I going to lose my hair so those were like the first three but for me, the sheer I, I cried with a doctor when he said, you know, this this looks like it's quite bad actually. We need to send you to a, a specialist. And I started crying and I was myself at this point. This was after this, my mother would not allow me to have a, a hospital appointment myself. Oh, yeah. And I said, I said, you don't understand, this is this is my life. I have given up so much for this to be my life. It it, it was the worst possible thing. To hear was that they needed to open my neck up because I had no guarantee that they couldn't guarantee they could save my voice with the operation. They couldn't guarantee anything. So I had the surgery, had the tumour out, and I when I came round, the first thing I did was look at my surgeon, who was a specialist with opera singers, so in the best hand. And so I was sort of lying back. So I couldn't I couldn't move, and I just held a thumb up or a thumb down to be like, did we save my voice or or have I lost it? And he just put his thumb up and I started to cry. Um, and then the saddest thing has been that, so I, so I spent the first year um, in a bit of a daze really because I still wasn't very well, to be honest, but I, I went back to work far too quickly. I don't recommend it to anybody. I was back doing a, a, an opera at the Royal Opera House in, in Covent Garden because I knew that the same opera was going to Japan in a few years time. And so I wanted to be in with a chance of doing the Japanese tour, which I did. So I, I went back to work far too early. I was sitting on the floor of rehearsals on the verge of throwing up for most of it. Um, And then I did a tour in Scotland of, of the lead role in, in the Pearl Fishers with Opera Bohemia. And I was still really unwell. Um, but I just, I, I needed to just focus on my my job and they'd wanted to do a second operation they weren't happy that they you know with sort of doing completion with breast cancer where you take the other side so i had they, they took half out and left me with half a thyroid um yeah. and said you know my surgeon said that i i don't feel comfortable only giving you a hemithyroidectomy because of the size of your tumor and the, the grade of your tumor so i would really like to do us to do a second operation, so we're sending you to an oncologist, at guys. And I just thought, I can't. I can't bear the idea of this. Like we saved my voice once. I I don't know if we're going to save it a second time. So I had almost two months, and I've got lots of doctors in my family. My sister, her husband, my uncle. I needed statistics. I needed. I needed to make such a sort of educated decision here. I couldn't bear the idea that I would take something out. And lose my voice and forever think, but what if it hadn't come back? And and I could have had fifteen years of singing and all these you know weighing up. So eventually I said to my consultant, it guys, I said, I need you to tell me what are the statistics that you will damage my voice? And what are the statistics that my cancer is coming back? And I went with the the lower statistics, so they couldn't so the cancer coming back is less than ten percent.
0: Okay. In the figure
1: for damaging my voice was
0: higher than that clearly you're a driven person you know you've curated you've put together that that career that you have that lifelong passion is now what you do for a living but it's all, it is also a passion so I guess in that moment you would have been channeling that energy in terms of I'm focused on being well I'm focused on this going well and it, it's all about the voice and it's all about me getting back to full health to be able to mm-hmm. pursue because even when you were talking about going Back too early to work because you had your eye on the prize because you knew that that opera was going to Japan. <laughs> do you know what I mean like even in that, it's like you, it's, it's orchestrated in the sense that you're looking ahead all the time. Clearly, you're you've got goals in mind and you're aiming high. And you know why shouldn't you? Mm-hmm. But even when you're ill, you're doing that. Yeah.
1: Well, the, the the best, well, not the best story, but the sort of most poignant story to come from this. So I was in the final round of the Young Artists Program for the National Opera Studio, and I. i got the email for that the day after i got my cancer diagnosis and so three weeks and three days later i had to stand in front of every opera house in the country and sing and i could barely stand up i couldn't finish like i I cracked because my voice was just and i I had a conversation with them it was what it was i was like nothing is going to stop me getting to where i want to be should I have done that addition? Nah, maybe not. So I still went out there. I was in the final round. I was like, this is my time. I feel really, you know, I'm ready to take this next big step. Enter cancer, ruined that. And, and then it was a very, very difficult four years. It turns out there was lots of damage in my neck that they didn't know about for the first year and a half. And I kept saying something doesn't feel right. I've lost the top few notes of my voice, which was really difficult to come to terms with because the thing that made me special as a child as a as a teenage singer was gone and and you have this real well if the thing that I thought made me special has been taken away from me am I special anymore as a as an artist as a singer that would I you know I advocate going to therapy if you need it I had to go and, and talk through a lot of this with the therapist I was so angry I've spent my life like I don't smoke, never taken a drug, I only drink champagne and um, because that way you can't afford to drink irresponsibly because it's too expensive um, and yet this happened to me and you know so I, I worked through all this with a the therapist to try and come to terms with it. Uh, I collapsed on stage in Glasgow mid-area with the orchestra in a concert. My poor parents had to watch this because the inside of my neck had all twisted it took three months to diagnose what had gone wrong. I was getting hooked up to machines. I was in the middle of singing Donna Anna and a Don Giovanni and the doctors like, you have to stop, you can't keep singing. I then spent two years in intensive private physiotherapy to try and fix the damage in my neck. And my surgeon was like, I don't know how you've kept singing. He was like, it must just be sheer determination. I think that's me. Um, my physio who is just the most wonderful man, Daryl, who, you know, I was crying on the table, and he's made me move your inside's neck, it's it's really hideous, you know, doing an amazing job. Fast forward, I thought I'm gonna throw my hat in the ring one last time to this Young Artist Programme. I was in the final round again, in front of all the opera houses of the country thinking, this is quite a PTSD moment, because the last time I was here in front of all of you, I mean, I, I had to stop singing, I cracked a top C, we just don't do that, it's just not what you do. And um, this story does have a happy ending because then I was told I was the only person that every single opera house unanimously selected. And so it's sort of like, do you know what? I don't want to relive those years. It's been absolute hell and I do mean like sobbing. It's kind of not quite, I mean, even in October there, so it's like three months ago, I was back in hospital and the doctors sort of said, because I'm still trying to get the very, very, very top of my voice back. It's not notes that everyone has anyway. You know, there are lots of operatic roles you can sing without these notes, but they were my thing. I loved having them. Um, mm. And there are a couple of roles I always thought I'd sing, but if I don't have at least one of these, I have I have to put that to bed and, and say goodbye to that dream of of that role. And so the doctors said to me in October, you have to give up on it forever. That you need to make your peace with this, and I was like, I don't, I don't think I can. It's just, it's just not me. And had I done this the first time in the March when the doctors were like, you, you can't keep singing as a, as a principal, as a, as a soloist. And I was so lucky; I had lots of work with the Royal Opera House as a extra chorus member, so I could still be singing at a really high level whilst Daryl butchered the inside of my neck. And I was yeah. so lucky to have that. Um, but I would have given up so many times because I have literally lost track of the number of times I walk out of that hospital in tears because it's just bad news again. And you sort of think, is is there any point in this anymore? And I'm just the least quitter of a person, clearly, um, clearly. And I'm and I just thought, screw this. No, sorry. Um, no, I have, I've. Have, too much inside of me as a as a singer is, and it's. I think the thing I've learned, which is something I will always take from this. I hate the word journey, but that journey from diagnosis, thinking I was okay, cancer wise, I was fine, but there was this damage. I mean, it's four four and a half years. Really, is a, is a long time to think? Is this is the end ever going to be in sight? Absolutely. Really, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And um, I thought my USP was. Oh, she can bung out really high, like really high notes, kind of like queen of the night stuff. That's not my USP. My Mm -hmm. USP is that I've had a life that is quite unique in what I have experienced. And then there's a role role that's my favorite, one of my favorite ones to sing ever is Mimi from La Boheme. Yes. And sopranos are always dying, right? They're always dying. But I sang this, it was the first role I got cast in after my illness. It was the first one to do like the year later. And there is a line in this in Act Three, and she's listening to Rodolfo speaking to his pal about, you know, the sort of having issues going to break up. And, and it's basically because he knows she's dying. And she sings this line, and it's like, Am I dying? And I said to someone, When, as a, a woman in your 20s, you have asked someone, Am I going to die? Then when you start to go into these characters now, I come back to my wanky little phrase of the truth resonates, but it's it's really true, and this is something that people have said to me now as a singer. People who don't know anything about you know what what's the background to my life, mm. but th- there is something now that I can bring as a as a person, as an artist, into these women that I sing. That's is it empathetic? Is I don't know what it is, but it's a realistic course, that connection with the character connection and and i think actually more than anything fine i don't have top f's top e's but i have a life that i can put on stage and i can channel and hopefully make people feel something that's real and and beautiful and
0: meaningful of course because you're not going on stage always just to sing a lovely song and be heard you're telling a story you're conveying a message And I've said this the whole, this is my love of opera.
1: And this is why
0: I always encourage people
1: if they haven't seen an opera, go see one. Go see La Bohème. go see La Traviata, go see, those are my two main ones to tell people to go see first. Um, Because it's just beautiful stories about people about, and you know, I think these women are incredibly strong. I think the character of Violetta is one of the strongest women we look at you know talking about sacrifice you know she's ill it's it's really beautiful and if you're just on stage going listen to how nice my top notes are you've missed you've missed the point no one is here just for that it's not enough if they were they'd be listening to you know a a recording or a radio it's an you know you sit in the theater I want to see I want to feel and I want to hear it's not just Wasn't that, a perfectly pinged set of semi-quavers. Oh, I'm bored by that. I'm bored by that. I need more. And that's the sort of performer, artist, singer I want to be and and I hope that I'm starting to be as I come out the other side now. I'm trying not to think of myself. There was a while I went through this. Am I broken? Like, is this my thing? Again, have to go visit a therapist about that one. So that that doesn't become the narrative. And I think so many people have, things that have happened in their lives, whether it's health, whether it's relationships, whether it's a job, thats something that's not gone well and they feel like, am I broken? And it's really good to change that narrative and and put it another way and go, well, actually, what have I grown? What's it? Post-traumatic growth is that thing. People think about post-traumatic stress, but actually post-traumatic growth can be the most strengthening, empowering. You learn so much about yourself and, and hopefully... You don't feel so exhausted by what you go through that you come at the end going, actually, I have lots of other things now. I may have lost a couple of top notes, I gained a lot more.
0: I mean, I know we're talking over the internet and it's been a bit of a tricky old fella tonight, this internet. <laughs> but Monica, like speaking to you and hearing what you're saying and I know I don't know you well, but I know I'm, I'm sitting in front of somebody who's the furthest away from broken. Like all I see is strength. Oh, don't I'm gonna cry, don't and I've but I, and I, I genuinely to do, do that. like, <laughs> that's all I can see. Like, that's all I can see in you. I'm like, you are just amazing, and you're such a strong person. I mean, we're you're on the, broad and the brave, like, you're the epitome of brave. Because, you know, obviously, unfortunately, a lot of people face diagnosis, and it's not to say that one person's diagnosis is more tragic over the other, but just the way you explain your story, and because you had committed your life and your life's work to this passion, and because it felt like the, the rug had been. Swept from underneath you do you know what I mean and there was no choice and I guess it's that moment of like what can I take back what can I take control of and it just sounds to me that you did and as much as you know we're all praise the NHS and what they can and we're so lucky and obviously you've had so many amazing doctors and physicians of course but it, it, to me it sounds also that you know yourself well enough to maybe go against some advice at some points just to be like, wait, you know, I know my inner voice. I can, you know, you've spent your whole life thinking about you and your voice and the message that you're putting out into the world. So I guess there was moments where you're Mm -hmm. just like, I'm going to trust me here and I'm going to push myself because I know I'm strong enough. That is not a broken person.
1: I mean, there's so many things to learn about strength as well because one of the things to learn is when do you go... You know, there are times my one of my worst qualities, as my mother would tell you, I'm very stubborn. But I I said to her, I said, but if I wasn't this, she calls it stubborn, I call it determined. I would have completely given up by now. There's no way I could have picked myself up from the number of times that, you know, you can can build yourself up for something. You know, I, I remember going into the appointment after the surgery going, well, they're going to tell me it's fine. And I remember going in and they said, it's not great. We want to do another operation. And I just felt, I can't go, you know, oh my gosh, like I can't go through this again. And there's knowing yourself, but also knowing a situation. So never doing something that seems, you know, stubbornly reckless to, you know, had the doctor said, you know, do this. And then there's sort of knowing yourself in the process to go, how much more can I take? And this is like really small things because I... Because oh, on my Instagram. Health and fitness is a real big thing for me yes. in terms of being really strong and really healthy and all this stuff. But I remember going to see my physio uh, and I hadn't seen him. It must have been to do with the lockdowns so and that was really tricky because we've been doing really good work. And then there's this huge gap and I thought, my gosh, my voice is bouncing back and I'm about to go to the studio as like, the only soprano young artist. I need to be match much fit. And mm. I went to see him after. It must have been the first lockdown so it would have been the summertime and I booked like an hour and a half with him and it was the pain was too much for me and I I thought I was going to be sick and there was one of the times where I had the voice in my head saying like you actually don't always have to go I must push through this and I said to him and I was like Darryl can we take can we take a tea break I said I just can't and there's there's knowing knowing yourself and knowing your body Really well, and sometimes that's knowing the worst things about you. So mine is my stubbornness, which can be good, but can also push me sometimes through stuff that you think, mm, maybe just say, "I I need some pain relief." Or I I had a biopsy with no pain relief. What? That's the sort of person I am. I had no pain relief when they made two incisions into my neck. Yeah. Wow. So it's, it's a real it's a real thing about knowing yeah, and I do think I, you know you learn so much about yourself and it's a life-changing experience and not in the way that people always think it's going to be you always think oh suddenly the day after you know I've, it, it's a different it's this kind of strange evolution and you learn so many different things about yourself and some of them are good and some of them are changing and I think anyone who's gone through what I call a trauma or whatever it might be what can we learn from it? Also, so at the start of the pandemic, I put a post up because I said, and lots of people commented on it because I, I it would have coincided with me being having. It was when my old my old clear was an April date, so when the April came around in the pandemic, and we were sort of a month into this, and people were really struggling because they realised this is not, this is not going away in a week. Yeah. And I put a post up just saying, you know, if I can offer some advice about what happens when your world is turned upside down by an external force. Here are the things I've learned. If someone tells you at the start how long it's gonna take to get to the end, you won't think you've got it in you. So just put one foot. If someone says it's gonna take years, you'd say, I don't have years of this in me. But if you actually just keep going forward, you don't understand how far into that you've actually reached. So keep going. What are the other pieces of advice? it's not always linear, so you might feel that, like, oh, we're getting there, and then you bounce back. That's absolutely fine. Crying is actively encouraged. Wallowing is not. Absolutely, see if something is shit, and it's hurt, and it's c- cry. Cry it out. If you vent, have some powers, you can vent on a voice note. But staying in a wallowing, not ideal. I had to get on a flight after that hospital appointment in the October where they said we think you should give up on the top of your voice forever and kiss goodbye to all the roles you ever thought you'd sing. I had to go from the hospital to Gatwick Airport and get on a flight to go sing in the Teatro del Verde in, where was that, Oliver? Outside Venice. And I was like, wow. I feel like shit. I feel like someone's just told me, my voice is horrendous. So I have certain playlists of things that make me feel, nah I've got this. Have have one that you can cry to when the emotion gets too much, and then have. I mean, I've got like Wonder Woman soundtrack on mine. I've got you know anything that just makes you feel some Spice Girls probably on there from the nineties. Some Shania Twain. I mean, Always man, I feel like a woman. Yes. and um, and so it's just learning, you know, what things will get you through if something's just really shit. And
0: the fact that you know on a a number of occasions there you also spoke about going to therapy and I think again it's that honesty and openness to say that's a strength like noticing that's something that you want and need and and make it and normalizing that because the more we people say that out loud the better
1: I've a a huge thing with that in the arts actually and that was the reason I made so I didn't tell anybody in the music world when I was sick just my singing teacher she was the only one that knew and then a situation happened where I felt that, how shall I word this? I felt, I don't like this kind of public facade of what I call public lies because I think it breeds this really unhealthy image, this idea with singers that you have to be a robot, the illness is a weakness or, you know, I, I was saying this to, to someone, uh, before Christmas Andy Murray had to have a hip replacement in his 30s the guy was number one in the world we love Andy <laughs> Scott yeah more Andy. Um, more Andy and he had to have you know he, he was in his early 30s I think because I couldn't watch that documentary because it was too close to the bone for me yeah, yeah. I started watching it. I found it I was just crying too much yeah. that's about knowing yourself turn it off but he had this hip replacement at no point during this, you know, getting himself back to full health, did someone say that's because your technique as a player is dreadful and you've brought that on yourself. And the thing I really wish people would do, especially with singers and with opera singers, bring the two together and go, okay, so let's say someone's voice is changing or someone's had a vocal injury or a vocal, you know, i had my neck sliced open or whatever it is. Can we stop treating people like they have to be machines And therefore, if anyone is feeling that they do have something they can't tell anyone, it leads to disaster. And my one wish would be that I could become successful enough in this industry to be the advocate for this. And that's why I made this public, because a comment was made that made me think, this is dreadful, and if I keep this secret, I am actually participating in the charade of not letting anybody know that -hmm. it's all right if you have something go wrong and, and I've had people say to me you know when after I collapsed uh, and it was it hur- really scary and it, it bred a, a mild a therapist then di- diagnosed with a sort of mild performance PTSD because you fear your body's going to do that again yeah. and I had to go through quite a lot of therapy to unpick that because you sing for 10 years you collapse once and then you open your mouth every time and think I'm going to collapse be, again. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's so- so you go see someone and you talk about it and and I had someone say oh but you better not let people think that you know that's going to be you and I thought how unfair this is this is the problem that that we have and this is what I think you know brave and bravery is which is if no one else is going to speak out about it sorry then then I will and someone said you just don't let anybody know that you're sick don't let it. and I thought no that's you know,
0: oh that's so backward and like and in this day and age of mental health issues like why are we still mm-hmm. perpetuating that we're all like mental health everybody's got mental health like speak out but they're still in certain realms where it's like oh but shh don't say anything thing is I understand you know our art
1: form and this is why I loved it what really drew me in so much is the sort of perfection that you go for because it's You know, everyone loves the story of Romeo and Juliet. You know, we all watched Leonardo DiCaprio through that. You know, when he's in the fish tank and Desiree starts singing, kissing you and we all went, I love you, Leo. Um, We love that. And then I saw Romeo and Juliet from the Met, uh, the Metropolitan Opera House. They did the first live broadcast. So you have the same story that everyone loves. And then you have this orchestration that's so beautiful. So it could be the ballet and you think, gorgeous, storyline, beautiful orchestration. Then on top of it, you have these vocal lines that are soaring and and beautiful and poignant and it's just the you know the amalgamation of all these art forms trying to be as good as they can be don't want us to sort of go well no then just let everyone do whatever they want and that's that's not what it is but it's the the compassion of going why is someone like that why do we feel like that and can we still try and get the perfection that we are going for but in a way that's not destructive because that's that's the golden goose as they say you know, everything about, you know, a, a Puccini line in La Boheme, it's, it's gorgeous. I don't want someone to go, well, you just sing it however you want.
0: No, that, no, of course.
1: It's not what we do. But I want it to be done in a way that no one feels that they are sacrificing their mental health, their physical health, their vocal health, their financial health, the you know, your relationship, like all of these things, we must be able to find a way to do the thing we love to its best but in a way that doesn't cost us all too much of things that matter to us
0: here here you are you are that advocate like you need to be the poster girl for that for sure (laughs) like you're there already and yeah surely if we're getting really deep about it and you know I'm getting a bit philosophical but surely if you put a human on stage who's so connected to who they are and is working on themselves and, and looking after themselves and, and talking in you know, a totally holistic sense, you mm-hmm. know, doing the work to make sure that they are as well looked after as that audience is. And, you know, you're you're getting everything. I'm giving you everything, but I'm also getting taken care of. Then surely that's the best performance. Then you're getting a human on stage that isn't sacrificing their own mental or physical health or their own energy for an audience, to then appreciate somebody who's like a whole being Who's not standing there In bits First and foremost, like thank you for being so open And I know obviously you've you've said You've, you've been public about that But to regurgitate that and, and relive that You know, in this conversation I really appreciate you being so honest and open And I think, you know, certainly I'm sitting here Going, like, Monica's amazing Monica's such, such a strong person But the honesty that you've given And just that that hope as well like just that you know you can get through something and it there can be so many positives come from it like that's just such an inspiring story it really is but it's a real story it's not like come on guys you can do it you know it's like as it ebbs and flows and really dark times but yeah i guess just your passion and your your humility got you through a lot of
1: people have now connected with me across the world who've had something either similar or they can relate to, happen. So I, I did a lot of stuff for cancer research in Scotland. And I talked about this in terms of when your cancer affects your job and, and stuff like that. And there was a guy who got in touch with me, and it was it, I've always remembered this, because he was a, a wine taster. That was his job. And because he had chemotherapy, it had ruined his ability to be able to do his job and i thought these are there are so many people are in situations where something has happened to them and it's made them have to go what do i do can can i get this back can i keep going do do i need to change and there's a lovely little group of three of us three singers uh, who've all had thyroid cancer we've all met through twitter or instagram one is from new york one is from england and there's me And those two girls are musical theatre girls. And we all, three of us, met. So I've sung with one of them in September. We did a fundraiser for a thyroid cancer charity. And the other one, we both, uh, British ones, met her. She flew over from New York to do a concert in December and we went to go see her. And we all just sat crying when we met each other. Because it's when it's your voice and you're the only other ones that you know that have had this, you can sort of help each other. And even just speaking about it makes... You know, one says, Did you feel like this after it? Did you feel like this? And being open makes someone else feel that either they can ask the question or mm-hmm. they go, Okay, actually this this is all right. So and so had it, so I shouldn't be too worried or I know what will come after that. And I just think that's why public lies I can't be dealing with.
0: It's just not my thing. No, eradicate them. Here, here. No, use it for good. It's wonderful. It's truly wonderful. And You know, I can't imagine. You must have so many highlights throughout your career. We're talking about that huge, huge hurdle that you've had to overcome. Um, And, you know, and and I'm sure that there's still days and moments where it is very much at the forefront for you. But along the way, there's still these amazing highs and and highlights and, you know, moments where you must have just been like, pinch me. Can you put your finger on a few that you're just like, yeah, they just blew me out of the water? Uh, yeah, so
1: the, when I sang, so the La OM that I sang, the first laboem I sang, and my parents came down to see it, so this was a year after my illness, and for me it's just the most glorious music, and I, I bought a new dress for the performance, which is my favourite dress that I've ever owned in my life. It was the nicest team of people, it was people I'd known and been friends with, and my parents came down to see it, my singing teacher was there, she just cried the whole time that was one of the most magical nights at that point as like that of my singing life I was like this is for me just so perfect and the next day the next day you get like post-show blues and it just gone so well and I was so sad that that was it over and I had to go into Covent Garden for a rehearsal of a different opera the next day and I was just so sad that the La was over that I actually went to the gelateria beside Stage Door and I had gelato for my breakfast because I was so sad. <laughs> I love that. Oh my word, sing it away with an just ice and I needed it. <laughs> and then I'd say, you know, doing all the, the performances with the, the National Opera Studio. That was a big thing for me when I started. Like I'd say the first the first month at the opera studio, which unfortunately did get I shan't say ruined by the pandemic, but it got ruined by the pandemic. Um, But for the first month September 21 and then also remember when we started going into a lockdown again and there was a full lockdown by the January. So for the first month I cried, maybe the first six weeks, I cried every single day because I was so happy. I just couldn't and I'd sing arias to people who didn't know what had happened to me at all which was like new coaches everyone was new and people saying, yep you know this you'll sing this role and you'll do this here and it was part of it you know when you cross the I don't know if you ever done like marathons or half marathons I did a half marathon once when you <laughs> listen no the sort of relief when you cross the finish line of it's like a combination of exhaustion pain and also I've done it and I had a lot of that for the first six weeks at the studio, actually, where it was kind of like, pinch me, have I have I actually done it? Am I safe? Um, did I actually manage to navigate my mind and my body through the storm that's been canceling COVID to get here? Um, and so, yeah, I'd say the first six weeks of that, before the lockdowns came and basically started, to, well, the second lockdowns, whichever ones we were on by then. So, yeah, LaboM, was amazing. And the first six weeks in the studio, I just cried through happiness. I I cry all the time, which I, you know,
0: we encourage crying, we don't encourage wallowing. Great away, carry on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm in total awe of you, just the things you've achieved and the places in the world that you've visited and the opera houses that you've sung in, the dresses you've worn and the people you must have met and the experiences you must have had, like you've lived a million lifetimes and you're still a young woman. So I tell you my favourite one of people that I've met, actually, my dad
1: loves this yeah. one. Right, here we go. So I was singing it something for Samuel L. Jackson, right? It's oh, one like one of the big... Hotels in London. He does. He's really wonderful. He does a lot of stuff for like prostate cancer. So he's a really charitable guy. So I was singing at something for him, <laughs> met him, chatted to him. He was like, thanks for singing, blah, blah, blah. Uh, about two and a half minutes later, I broke my ankle, right? And
0: then. <laughs> no, I thought you were greasy.
1: Then, uh, about a month later, on crutches, I was singing at something else at the Savoy. And I am crutching around. My my foot is in a, a one of. The, about, no, it must have been about five weeks later because I was out of my cast, and mm-hmm. I was in a ski boot by this nice. point. Nice. Yep. Sexy ski boot, rocking that red <laughs> carpet look. Woo! And um, I'm in my sort of dressing room area of the Savoy, uh, in the ballroom part. And um, Will Smith came in.
0: Oh, you're just hitting us with all the, all the the dudes right
1: so like triple denim not just double denim like triple denim I think it was after, like son mm-hmm. and I'm like hobbling, hobbling around and he was like oh my god what's happened to you <clears throat> and I just wanted want to be like I broke my ankle with your pal Samuel L. Jackson because I thought he's not going to believe this story he's going to be like I don't think you did and so he said to me he said what happened I was like oh I've broken my ankle and he said but you're here and I said "But well, I was just singing you know I'm sure you understand this. The show must always go on. You should be having a bit of chat. And then he said to me, "Greatest one of the greatest moments of my under 20-year-old life, <clears throat> <laughs> would it help if I just put you on my shoulders and like carried you around all night? <laughs> and I went, yes, it would.
0: that's <laughs> yes, exactly like, what I need. Mean. Thank I you like, very much. That would
1: help me in, I'd say, all aspects of my life. <laughs> His bodyguard wouldn't wouldn't allow it. So he wasn't allowed to academy. So then so then only six six or seven weeks after that, I was thinking again, it's something else for Samuel L. Jackson. And he came up to me and went, You're the one that broke her leg. I was like, technically it was my ankle. And he's like, Yeah, I heard about it. Are you all right? I was like, I'm fine now. I'll hobble on, thank you. That's <laughs> mortified, mental. mortified myself in front of Hollywood's. But clearly, in.
0: clearly you made an impression. Yeah, that's like, just like, who, who does that happen to? The funny thing
1: is, you know, I, I spent a lot of my time, you know, after I did my master's at Royal College, I was then with Warner Brothers for a while. So I had this crazy life of going to parties, you know, filming, photo shoots, all this nonsense. But the thing I find funny is, is that for other people, like my dad, that was a nice thing for him because, you know, he does no mm-hmm. opera. So it's people that he recognises to be like, well, oh, you're yeah, Monica was with so-and-so. But when I am around opera singers that I have, like, a talent crush on or even just a crush on, yes, oh, my, God, my God, God, I can't speak to them, I become, you know Notting Hill? You know Martin? who When yes. he talks to Julie Roberts in Notting Hill? That's me. I'm like, I really love, I really love your work. Like, I am an absolute mess to people that no one would recognise in the street. Yes. Nobody other than opera singers would recognise You know, these people, but there's a a, a Baritone, Canadian Baritone, that I just think is wonderful. And we were waiting together at the Covent Garden Starbucks for our drinks. And I really wanted to keep speaking to him. Listeners will not see the facial expressions here, but I'm sure they can imagine. And I did that thing where you take a breath in to go to speak to someone and then you check him out. So you go, (laughs) but I didn't just do it once. This was a time I was neither brawn nor brave. His wife used to be my agent. And he was singing with my teacher and I should just have said, oh, Monica Hellwood knows me. How are you? Instead, I was like, oh, my God, I love I'm this man. He's so talented. can't speak to him. Like an absolute moron. Fast forward, he was, one of the, he was one of the singers when we were singing out in Japan with Royal Opera House. So we're in some skyline garden rooftop party thing. I haven't spoken to him the whole time we're there because, you know, let's not recreate the Starbucks instant of 2014. Oh, just stay quiet. So I didn't say anything. And then I heard a voice go, Monica McGee, and it was his wife who'd been my agent. And I was like, and I've not seen you We're here in Japan. Then she went, let me introduce you to Jerry. And I literally, and I had a couple of it was It was the first night party and I went... <laughs> I'm going to embarrass myself so much right now and I just became this, I mean shameful, <laughs> embarrassing you know again I'm going to reference Notting Hill because I think it's the best but when they go to the dinner party and his sister like walks into the toilet with her That and she's like I'm just going to embarrass myself 100% that was me that's you, that's you. when I really, when I just have like a talent crush of such respect for
0: someone i become a blubbering idiot yeah i can totally understand that you know they're your gladiators here's your schmooze and my will and samuel like it was just water off a duck's back you know what i mean but that just shows you you still have the absolute love for it it's you know you've immersed yourself in it you love that world you respect that world you're on this journey like you said earlier on and it's just holding that with such high esteem and so you should it's it's just beautiful it's something so special and unique and I think, obviously, you'll have had this before, there's an aspect of, like you were saying earlier on as well, about opera and people thinking it's not for them because it feels like it's otherworldly. But I think, generally, that there is that feeling for some people with theatre. And I think just the way you speak about it, and like you are a lassie from Motherwell that is an international opera singer, that you're breaking down that barrier of, like, this is something that is for everybody. Like, just the fact that you're on this podcast talking about it, like, I just hope that that opens somebody up else up to do you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna be get, get listening to that i'm gonna to listen to something on spotify i'm gonna go and see opera when it comes to glasgow we're coming to glasgow the scottish opera tour goes across the whole country oh that was a seamless link <laughs> look at that
1: but this is and i've said this to people all the time i do not come from a musical family you know there's a lot of people in the opera world it's you know nepotism in, in lots of different industries but i, I you know my parents were in education. If I can find and love opera, a be lastly for motherwell as they say, it's it's accessible to anyone. And my, my dad and I feel really passionately about this. Actually, and during lockdown one, we've had this idea for years that we wanted to write a musical together. And um, but my dad and I have written this musical, which we hope next year. I mean, COVID's sort of put a span on the works with when we'd be able to to put it on. But we've written it's a full length musical. And it is written for young people from here. The whole idea is that it will be put on in Motherwell. It will be done by youngsters, children from our postcode, people with my accent, people from here. The you know I've got one of my best friends is in set design, and it's just fabulous work in television and film and. I said to her, you know, would you be interested in getting involved? And and hopefully, I mean, this is my grand plan, the idea would be that then children who love creativity, but they're not musical, but they're artistic, they will help her build the set, if I can get all the funding together for this. And the idea is that you can be from our area and find the arts something that, that you love. And it's not this distant, well, the arts are for people, you know, who, you know, London, it, all the arts things are in London, or for people who can get to Glasgow and who can afford to pay these fees. No, 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 no. So our goal is next year that this musical was written by two people from Motherwell, and it will be premiered here in Motherwell by youngsters from here to show them that, look, there is a whole world that you might not think you can be in. I'm here. You know, I, I've gone down a rabbit hole and looking that there has never been, you know, people talk about how important representation is these days and couldn't agree more because I went down the archives of the Royal Opera House and of lots of Opera Houses, there has never in the history of the Royal Opera House at Covent Garden been a Scottish soprano singing the roles, that are my roles that I hope to sing. My life ambition, if I can get there, will be to try and change that so that no one else will go, well no one that's got my accent can ever get that far. Or no you know, I, I'm really lucky my singing teacher is this world famous opera singer Mary McLaughlin. She was my idol, the queen of the Mara I don't think anyone alive has done more Mozart manager figures than her. She's an absolute icon and she comes from she comes from up the road. Um so I I had her to look yeah. up to um, it's sort of she'd been a few she's ages with my dad she's a few generations above me and I think it's really important that you keep that going and there's always someone you know is there someone that has my accent that does this great I feel like I can do it then is much my post could
0: manage to do this great I don't feel that it's out of my my reach absolutely I'm, I'm here for it if I can support that in any way like just give me a shout I will. like absolutely like I think that's outstanding and the fact that you feel that you want to give back to your community where you came from because you remember being a young person and like you were saying yeah your parents they were great in the sense that they supported you but yeah it's just that coming back home and going this is important like I was given these opportunities and if I can give that to somebody else it opens doors it opens minds like even if it's not even if you do that musical and you had a lovely time and it's not that you're going to necessarily go and pursue music but the fact that you can it just it gives you the 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 kind of confidence I think young people like yeah. just being in the arts to know that anything is possible and that yeah. you can go over go for your goals. Yeah, I'm just excited to hear what what's going to come out of this. It's amazing. Like yeah, please anything I can do to promote and oh, support yeah, thank it. You. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So yeah, in terms of what what's next and what's now, you're mm-hmm. on tour currently with Scottish so we, Opera. Yes, so we start the the actual tour. So
1: opening night is the eighth of February. Uh, so we're in rehearsals at the moment which is really exciting And um, when you see something come alive and you know you start building these wonderful relationships with your other castmates because a tour is slightly different because you're with them all the time it's not the same as going into the theatre, we don't do shows every day in, in the opera world, we tend to have at least one sometimes if you're lucky, two rest days to let your voice and, and come back so it's not the same as going into the theatre every third day, you know you're going to be in a, a tour van going to the Highlands and Islands um, with this yes. dance we're lucky, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful group um, so we're in the middle of rehearsals, we open on the 8th of February and we close on the 19th of March, so it's a long tour we have 18 performances and we are crossing this country um, which I think is amazing and, and the best thing about this is it's it's an opera highlights tour because if you're going somewhere uh, you know, I'm thinking of the islands and, and the Highlands mm-hmm. that we're to if you were to take one show and someone goes oh i'm so glad you know the scottish opera coming but i saw a carmen and it wasn't really for me so if you're only bringing carmen then it's kind of cutting out people that so instead they have this fabulous idea of piecing together some really famous well-known hits my lab om is in there i'm a very happy soprano there's some romeo and juliet tons of ones we have mentioned on this podcast um some beautiful Handel and Mozart, uh, Hansel and Gretel. And then there's also some ones people might not know, which I think is a great idea to just, I think it's like food. Or it's like Amazon. You know when Amazon go, people who like this also like this. <laughs> and This is what I think we, we have to do. Because if it's, you know, an art form that we want to keep alive and it's one that will sometimes go, I'm not very sure about it. You know, I think this when I go, I used to get taken to really expensive restaurants in London when I signed with the record label. And I wouldn't know what things were on the I wouldn't know what things were on the menu. And I remember turning once to the, the president of Warner Brothers was beside me at this dinner. And I was like, I don't know what anything is. <laughs> and I was like, What is Arctic char? I know. He was like, It's a white fish, you'll like it. I was like, I'll have the Arctic char. Now, if someone had just said it's a white fish. It's white fish. Then you'd be like, fine. And so I often think with opera, you'd say to people, you know, if you really liked La Bohème, you might also like La Rondine, but you just don't know La Ronde. You know, it's, it's it's stuff like that. So I think it's amazing. We've got this fabulous show that's coming to life, weaving together all of these highlights to make it a show in itself. Oh, I need, to, I need to get my ticket. I'm, I'm Oh, you to get a ticket because I, and there's anyone um, who knows me will be shocked by this. I will be dancing yes i know which is rarer than a blue moon i'd say i'm coming i'm oh, there it's all coming together This so it's so exciting
0: that is so exciting i wish you all the best i'm definitely going to look at the dates and hopefully get along to a performance for sure very very quickly because i've taken up so yeah. much of your night off but i do a thing called the Hingamajigs, which are just random questions that i like to ask each yeah. guest at the end of the podcast and this is just to get a, a sense of you're the day. Tomorrow you might say something else. Okay, great. Um, okay, here's the first one I can see in front of me. Who or what makes you laugh? Oh, I la- I've never laughed more in a rehearsal room than I
1: laughed today. I had tears running down my face. Margot Asan, you know what you did. It was amazing.
0: <laughs> oh, I like it. like it. A bit of mystery behind it. Love it. Um, so, what would you say to your teenage self if you could speak to them now? <laughs>
1: I would probably say, go and have a much better time because your voice is going to survive having cancer, so you can afford to have a nicer time
0: as a teenager. Get yourself into the mega bar, stacker. Go have.
1: You can have a bit. You're going to have a bit more fun, and your voice will still hold up because it's going to hold up. They haven't like been attacked. You'll be fine. I
0: hope you're having all the fun at this age. <laughs> Hope you're making, making up for it now, Monica. <laughs> the last question that I do ask everyone, so I switch these all up, but the very last question, because it's called The Brawn the Brave, is and then you'll be freed from this podcast <laughs> and you can go about your life <laughs> is what is your favourite Scots word or phrase? Ooh.
1: Okay. So in the opera world, we have a phrase before people go on stage, you say toy, toy, toy. Right. So that's what you say. In France, you go merd, merd, right? So it's, it's kind of like the break a leg for the opera world. So yes. toy, toy, toy. My favourite thing is to teach opera people geat lalde, because I just think it inspires energy a lot more than toy, toy, toy. So guillet so lalde. I
0: love it. I love it. Monica, I cannot thank you enough. You have totally gained this podcast loudly for sure i will let you go and have a life but i cannot thank you enough i wish you all the, the success and all the joy and uh, just keep being drawn, brave i hope you enjoyed today's episode of the and the brave a podcast about people and their passions join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests bye for now